welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, the podcast. And there is so much to talk about in the world of professional wrestling, as there always is these days. There is so much wrestling in the world today that you couldn't possibly follow all of it. And with all that wrestling comes tons of news items and tons to talk about as well. But I do want to give a plug out for a podcast I'm doing with Jeff Moss called The Greatish War. And it takes a look back at the Monday Night Wars from 23 years ago. We go back to 1996. And we figured the dawn of the Wednesday Night Wars is a good time to revisit the Monday Night Wars. So we recap both a Raw and a Nitro each episode. And you're welcome to come follow along with us. You can watch along on the WWE Network and check out the shows. Or you don't necessarily need to check out the shows as well. We, The episode that we have up right now covers the May 27th, 1996 Nitro and Raw. Some fairly historic stuff happens on those shows. And we just finished recording an episode that which covers the June 3rd, 1996 Raw and Nitro as well. It's a lot of fun. And 1996 was such a pivotal year for wrestling. It really was almost the coming-of-age story for North American pro wrestling. What, what happened during the Monday Night Wars changed wrestling and created the model for what modern-day wrestling is. So watching that all play out again nearly a quarter of a century later, while a new generation gets their own wrestling war, is pretty interesting. I mean, there's so many differences between what happened on Monday nights in the late 90s and what's happening on Wednesday nights now. And what happened on this specific, or this week's Wednesday night was particularly good. Now on this show, like I don't, like to get too into, oh, this was a great show, or that was a bad show, or this was a great match, or that was a bad match, because it's all subjective, right? It it's all depends on how much you enjoyed it personally, and that there is such a range in that across different types of fans. And of course, like what wrestler you're a fan of uh, determines how much you enjoy their angles and things like that. So I don't like to get too into that, However, I don't think that we can go this week without mentioning that what happened on Wednesday night this week was we got two great shows, or two shows that are being very well-reviewed online by fans. Not so much Kevin Nash, but by fans. (laughs) Well, actually, uh, uh, Joe, Kevin Nash had a problem with one segment on AEW, but... When these shows on Wednesday night, to me, this was what we kind of hope the Wednesday night war is going to become. Because on both shows now, they're sort of competing for angles. Is the inner circle angle as hot as Finn Balor turning on Johnny Gargano and Tomasa Ciampa? Like, we're starting to see major storyline developments take place. Well, on AEW Dynamite, we're just finding out more about what the show is. And the show's usually five or six good wrestling matches and one in-ring interview segment a week. 
something like that. But we're finding out more about their style, how they book things, how they book title matches, how things play out in their divisions. We're finding more about more uh, of that out over the last month. And this is really the first television build to a pay-per-view that AEW has done, building up to full gear on November 9th. But let's start off with some news. And the news we'll start off with has to do a lot with AEW as well. And the first bit of news that I want to discuss is Kenny Omega winning the AAA Mega Championship from Phoenix at the Heroes Immortales show in Mexico recently. And this is sort of... I guess it's a it's kind of a big deal as it concerns the relationship between AAA and AEW, which seems very strong. And they mentioned on AEW that Kenny Omega won the AAA Mega Championship, which is different from what they did after John Moxley won the IWGP United States Championship. Although they have, I'm pretty sure they've mentioned New Japan titles on AEW before. Like, I think they probably referred to somebody as a former IWGP champion. That might not be the case, but it's still interesting that Kenny Omega winning that title got mentioned on AEW programming. Because you sort of got the feeling after John Moxley won the U.S. title for New Japan that maybe they weren't going to acknowledge title wins in other promotions from members of their roster. However, Kenny Omega winning the AAA Mega Championship shows that that's not the case. So perhaps it was just an issue that because of the non-relationship which exists between New Japan Pro Wrestling and AEW, that AEW didn't feel it necessary to talk about Moxley having won the IWGP United States Championship. Also, we talked about this last week, but New Japan Pro Wrestling has created a new company. It's New Japan Pro Wrestling of America. And they will be a touring company in the United States, and they're hoping to kick that off next month. And the head office for that will basically be the LA Dojo where Katsuyori Shibata is training training people. So So Omega has also said that we'll likely see the AAA Mega Championship defended in AEW as well. So um I just think that's kind of interesting. We've seen the AAA tag titles were defended on AEW, like they were Um, Before the AEW Tag Team title tournament commenced, the AAA Tag Team titles were feuded over between the Young Bucks and the Lucha Bros over the summer. So we'll see if the same sort of thing happens here with Omega and the AAA Mega Championship. It doesn't seem like they're going to go as hard with that title as they did with the AAA Tag Team titles, but... Still, thought it was interesting news all the same. The next bit of news I wanted to talk about was Xavier Woods is out of action for nine months to a year. Uh, That's a torn Achilles injury, and that takes a particularly long time to recover from. So now, that sort of throws things up for the new day a little bit. Because Woods isn't going to be able to travel with that injury. So it's just going to be Biggie and Kofi 
And unless Kofi is still going to be in the mix for the championship in the singles division, although the way he lost the title to Brock Lesnar perhaps implies that he's no longer in the running for that championship. So do we see Kofi and Big E keep the New Day tag team going, or do they each go into singles while Woods is out? It's going to be interesting to see what WWE does with the members of New Day over the next nine months to a year with Xavier Woods not being in the mix of things. Uh, Also, as it concerns injuries, Luchasaurus, who was pulled from the AEW Tag Team title tournament on just two hours' notice, so he's out with a strained hamstring and not a torn hamstring. And so that's a recovery time of a few weeks versus several months. So that's good news for Luchasaurus. Also, oh, I can't remember even what show this was on. One of the many AEW shows which airs on YouTube. It could have been Being the Elite or it could have been AEW Dark. But there was a segment where Luchasaurus gave a dinosaur mask to Marco Stunt. So we'll see if Marco Stunt starts looking... More like a dinosaur in the weeks to come. So Triple H and CM Punk have both sort of been asked about each other in the media. And both are sounding far more open to a Punk return than than I think anybody would have suspected was possible just a few years ago. So Punk has said, I mean, well, Punk auditioned, I guess, for this WWE backstage show, which is hosted by Renee Young on Fox. And it had been reported that he was likely going to be offered a contract as well. This was, it was said in the Wrestling Observer newsletter that he was likely to get a contract. But then this week, Punk came out in the media and said, "Ah, he hasn't heard a thing. Like, he did the audition, hasn't heard back, and that's sort of that. So, it doesn't seem like Punk is going to end up on that show. It did sort of seem like that is what he would end up doing in a bit. And you sort of wondered if that was going to... uh, What's the word? Kind of... Prep everybody for an eventual punk return to WWE. Now, both WWE and AEW have their reasons to be upset with punk. It sounds as though, and while none of them are out, like outwardly saying this bluntly anyway, it sounds as though some members of the AEW were upset with an interview punk did with ESPN where he mentioned that he's never really gotten a real offer from AEW. He's been texted offers or secondhand offers and things like that, but he didn't really consider them actual offers. And he said, you know, I'm happy for the Young Bucks. I support them. But he really doesn't sound that interested in going to AEW. But when the topic of WWE comes up, his tone is sort of implying that it really could happen. Now, Punk would continue. I mean, he, he was on podcasts. He did an interview with Screen Rant. Like, Punk is all over the media because he's 
doing media to build to um, or to support his movie, uh, Girl on the Third Floor, which I haven't seen yet, but I, I hear it's pretty good. And I hear Punk's good in it, too. So he's doing media for that, and he's not shying away from wrestling questions. Like he go, like he does media for this movie. They ask him wrestling questions, and he answers them. I still just don't see it happening. CM Punk to WWE, that is. It does sound with the comments that Punk is making that he wants to go back on comments he had said about never going back to WWE ever. Now, he said in media that he's always been open to him returning. Pretty sure I heard him say he'd never go back to WWE. I'm not sure what podcast that was on. Maybe it was the Cole Cabana podcast. Um, But not only is Punk sounding like he's open to going back to WWE, Triple H sounds like he's open to Punk going back to WWE. And if you remember from the initial podcast that Punk did when he left, that he did with Colt Cabana, God, that's like five years ago now. That's crazy that that is five years ago. Um, So the original podcast that he did on Colt Cabana's podcast, things like that, um, it really sounded as though he clashed with Triple H the most and that Vince was actually the one who from the very beginning has been open to punk returning punk said, or uh, Vince McMahon said that on the Steve Austin podcast on the WWE network, when they, the topic of punk came up and McMahon said, uh, this was before the lawsuit and everything. And Vince McMahon actually apologized for punk getting fired on his wedding day and said that, you know, he was open to doing business with punk again. And the thing with Punk is, there's value to him for either WWE or AEW. So if those two companies start duking it out in the same way WWE and WCW did in the late 90s, where you could tell the only thing that mattered to anybody running those companies was beating the other side, if that sort of environment is created again, guaranteed somebody is signing Punk. Somebody is going to put their personal feelings regarding Punk aside and sign him to a big money contract. Like right now, there's obviously motivation for each side to sign him. He's a guy who can turn numbers, create ratings, create a buzz. I mean, it would be a big coup for Punk to show up in AEW, for Punk to show up in AEW, it would be the ultimate statement that this is the WWE alternative. Because every time WWE does something that their fans don't like, what do they chant? They chant CM Punk. So if CM Punk was to show up in AEW, and these fans are watching stuff on WWE that they don't like, and they start to think, maybe we should chant CM Punk. Aren't they going to start thinking, hey, maybe we should change the channel and watch CM Punk? Well, I guess if they're chanting, they're live in the arena, so they can't change the channel. But you, you get what I mean. At some point, somebody is going to sign CM Punk. He's open to it. And the fact that he is saying that he's open to it means it's just a matter of money. Possibly some creative... 
but most likely just a matter of money. This is a guy who spent a million dollars fighting off a lawsuit recently. So, I mean, I'm sure he's doing fine. I'm sure he's got enough money to be set for life. I'm also sure he realizes he's 40 years old, and this is the last window he's going to have to get a big payday from pro wrestling. Well, actually, maybe not the last window. But this is the last window to get a big payday where you're still considered, by today's standards, in the what could be called the prime of your wrestling career. Like, 40 years old in wrestling today is fine. You still got plenty of years left. You can be in the main event. I mean, back years ago, at 40, you were done. You were trying to get yourself an office job at that point. That's not the case anymore. Look at PCO. Look at Jericho. Look at everybody. Look at R-Truth. We know so much more about how to keep your body in shape. We know so much more about how to stay healthy, how to repair after injuries. The medical field has advanced so much that 40... 40 is still your athletic prime for wrestling anyway for pro wrestling where you're not actually competing but you you get what I mean so there's a big opportunity for CM Punk to make some money right now and that same opportunity likely won't be there in five years we don't know what television rights fees are going to be paid out in five years so we don't know how much money WWE is going to have if WWE can't get good TV rights deals in five years when their contract is up and something goes sour with the Saudi government, they're going to lose a huge chunk of money. A lot of their money is tied up in those things. Money they get from Fox, money that they get from uh, USA, and money that they get from the Saudi family. That's a huge chunk of WWE's revenue. If those things go away, the wrestling industry in five years could be totally different. But anyway, so now is the time. The money is in the industry, and Punk can have some of it. We'll just see what happens. But I think as you get into the first couple of months of 2020, that's where we're really going to see each side make a play to get uh, more buzz on their side. And I think think Punk is going to be... CM Punk will be a battleground for AEW and and WWE. Also concerning AEW and wrestlers possibly going there. Randy Orton on Twitter is a total troll. Like Randy Orton doesn't take anything seriously. That's my general opinion of Randy Orton. If you remember... Not long ago, Randy Orton came out on Twitter and said that Baron Corbin was one of the few who actually gets the business. And this was this made a rounds on all the dirt sheet sites. Um, and then he puts out a tweet the next day saying, um, you know, I'm sorry about what I said about Baron Corbin. I'd been drinking heavily. I want to apologize to all my colleagues for my behavior. You know, like... It's, it was just funny because obviously the first tweet that he put out, everybody takes it as serious. Then he puts out a similar tweet. And it's just this whole thing about Twitter is treated like it's a press release. 
right? Like if, if a famous person puts something out on Twitter, it's news. And that's new, obviously, before social media. Before social media, journalists were needed a lot more. And I can say this because I work in media both inside and outside of wrestling. But before social media, a lot of journalism was receiving press releases from companies, organizations, uh, famous people, talent agencies. You get these press releases and then you publish it. You publish the information that's in there. But now a company can just publish their own press releases on their Facebook page or on Twitter, and they sort of cut out the middleman of traditional media. And so what media has done is just started to treat anything that goes out on social media as if it's a press release. So a lot of journalism is really just um, aggregating or... um, like putting all of this information into one place for people to find the days of you check your inbox for these press releases and you pitch your editor on a story. And that, I mean, that, that kind of media is now over and we're moving into a different area. And Randy Orton is not taking any of that seriously. (laughs) So anyway, what I was saying was Randy Orton put out, Uh, Those tweets. So he put out another tweet, which was definitely trolling this week. And the, oh, sorry, I think this was an Instagram post, whatever. But he just writes TikTok, TikTok, and it's him of a picture. uh, It's a picture of him next to a sign that says elite level, but you can only read the level or the word that says elite. And he tags a bunch of different people in this. He tagged uh, the revival. He tagged uh, Elias, some other people. And And so the idea here was that he's trolling that maybe he'll end up in AEW. And the TikTok had many people thinking, oh, well, maybe his contract's up. Do we know? Maybe, maybe PW Insider can tell us when his contract's up. Maybe, maybe like, all you do is like Google Randy Orton signs new WWE contract and see what comes up. And then you can find out when he signed. So if you do that, you'll see all these articles from the summer of 2019 or 2010, which uh, say that Randy Orton just signed a 10-year contract with WWE. So assuming that his contract is a round, around 10 years, uh, it's going to be up next summer, in the summer of 2020. And Randy Orton, much like CM Punk, this is his last shot to get another big payday in wrestling because he's going to be 40 when his contract's up. So he was under contract with WWE from 30 to 40. That should let you know how much competition there was in pro wrestling over the last decade. Is that Randy Orton, it made sense for him to sign a 10-year deal. Nobody would sign a 10-year deal. Well, I mean... If you're at the end of your career, signing a 10-year deal makes sense. But if you're 25, you don't want to sign a 10-year deal right now. Now, could Randy Orton end up in AEW? WWE is going to absolutely break out the bank to keep Orton. Um, And I don't think Orton is 
somebody who at this point in their career, like John Moxley, is going to choose creative over money. Orton's got kids. Moxley doesn't have kids. Orton, I mean, Orton's had his career already, right? Like, he's one of the most successful wrestlers in WWE history. I don't think he's, he might not be looking to add on to his legacy. He might just be looking to get another big paycheck. And by putting out this kind of Instagram post, it plays the two sides against each other. And this would be the time for him to do this too, because he's going to want to try and negotiate a new deal with WWE before his current deal comes up. And I think that's what's going to end up happening. Um, WWE is able to negotiate with Orton exclusively for the next eight months. Now, with that being said, Orton and Cody Rhodes always speak highly of each other when asked. Cody was in Legacy, Orton's group, so I'm certain Orton probably served in some some type of mentorship role for Cody. And as we've seen, Cody is usually very appreciative of people who he feels were good to him when he was coming up. So Cody and Orton could be texting on the DL, talking numbers, talking money. But whatever they're talking about, it's going to have to top what Vince McMahon will offer. And Vince doesn't want his big stars in AEW. He doesn't want Undertaker doing anything that isn't WWE. He doesn't want any of his legends doing anything other than WWE, even once their careers are done. And I think that's going to be the same with Orton. I just can't see WWE letting Orton go. So there were three pro wrestling shows that I want to talk about this week. Because there are some good pro wrestling shows out there. But the problem is, there's so many good wrestling shows out there that it's not really possible to watch all the ones that you want. Well, you can't watch all the wrestling that's out there. You just can't anymore. Like, this is what the schedule for pro wrestling is going to be. On Monday nights, you've got Raw for three hours. You've also got, if you're like me and you don't get B in sports, Monday nights is when MLW Fusion comes out. And I guarantee you, MLW Fusion is a better program than Raw. Certainly easier to watch. Then on Tuesday nights, Tuesday nights are the big wrestling night now. Or one of the two big wrestling nights. Anyway, there's four hours of good wrestling on Tuesdays and four hours of good wrestling on Wednesdays. So on Tuesday, starting at 6.05, you've got NWA Power, which was awesome again this week. So they continue to build fun storylines. NWA is like the in-ring work is not what they're putting emphasis on. 
they're putting emphasis on stories, characters, this throwback feel, taking you back to the eighties, taking you back to the wrestling that was the child, the wrestling of our childhoods for so many of us. But even for those of us who it wasn't the wrestling from their childhood, it's just a different take on pro wrestling. So you've got that on Tuesdays starting at six Oh five. Then you've got AEW dark at seven and then starting next week from eight to 10, you've got impact wrestling on access and the fight network and Twitch and all that crap. Then Wednesday nights, you've got the Wednesday Night Wars, AEW Dynamite and NXT. Thursday night, you can rest. You can have a little rest. And then Friday, you've got SmackDown. So that's a full slate of shows, and we're not even talking about shows from New Japan Pro Wrestling. And we're not even talking about shows from Ring of Honor. I mean, there's just so many. There's a whole new territory system. There's like... We're like in the borderless territory era of pro wrestling. And it just sort of cropped up in the last few years. Because even if you go back a few years ago, it was not that easy to follow even Ring of Honor. I mean, Ring of Honor before Honor Club, they would have a few pay-per-views and TV shows. And some of their pay-per-views, when when Ring of Honor started to do these internet pay-per-views... They were a total crapshoot whether or not you'd actually get to see the show or not. New Japan World came out in 2014. Before then, it was basically impossible to follow it. Like, to follow it in real time, anyway. I mean, you could see the shows, but the shows that you'd be seeing, I mean, they'd be old, or you wouldn't be able to see them in order. Um, TNA wrestling was so bad, nobody wanted to follow it. So it was almost like it didn't exist. But now that Don Callis is running it, they do some pretty cool stuff on there. So you, so it's now a watchable wrestling show again, whereas it wasn't that for a lot of years. So you, like wrestling fans have to pick. And I, I've started to think like, okay, what are the wrestling shows that I want to watch? AEW Dynamite is absolutely a show I want to watch. NXT Absolutely a show I want to watch. I have to watch Impact because I cover it for SE Scoops. Uh, but I like it. And I also kind of want to support it because they're from, I mean, their head office is in Toronto. Uh, I've gotten to meet a lot of people on their roster and I'm kind of cheering for them. So Impact's in there. MLW, I just like their approach to pro wrestling. Um, uh, love seeing the Hart Foundation and the Von Ericks and... All the stuff that they do there. Then NWA. NWA, I mean, I, I just want to follow it, right? Like, it, it's... I want to see what Billy Corgan does with this. And I want this NWA to almost exist like... It's... it's like, like, this NWA should exist like WWE doesn't exist. You know, that kind of thing. And I think Nick Aldis and what he's doing for the NWA is so perfect. And just how he does it is so perfect. And the way they do that show is so perfect. So hopefully this is going to be just sort of like, hopefully the NWA gets a TV deal. Because I'm certain that they need more money coming in than selling those 200 tickets to the studio show or the pay-per-view buys that they get from the Fight Network. Seems like they're really going to need a TV rights fees to make them a profitable company. 
maybe they can do it just by being creative, selling ads in different ways. Maybe they can work around not having rights fees or not getting rights fees. Um, but anyway, the NWA is definitely one promotion I've said, like, okay, I'm, I'm watching that. I'm watching this every week. MLW, unfortunately, I've, like, I've missed, like, the last few weeks of MLW because it's not a promotion that gets talked about as much as some of the others. So you don't need to know what happened necessarily, but it's a good show. Like, it's enjoyable to watch, but it doesn't feel important. Like, you need to know what's happening in MLW to know what's happening in wrestling. Um, so I'm kind of going with AEW, NXT, and NWA. Those are the ones I'm for sure watching. And everything else is going to be, like, based on whether or not I got time. Or whether or not, like, I'm around to watch it. The big New Japan shows, of course, I want to watch as well. Um, a lot of the Road to New Japan shows, though, I'm sort of skipping these days. The ones that are basically all tag matches. Um, no, I will. I'll, I mean, I want to see what they do with this New Japan Pro Wrestling of America when it comes out. So wrestling fans really have to choose. But one of the ones I'm choosing is AEW Dynamite. So let's just quickly run through what happened on AEW Dynamite this week. I don't want to do a full, full recap as those just take too long for it to do AEW and NXT and so on. But okay, so on AEW Dynamite, the show opened with the two semifinal matches in the tag team title tournament. And we would get Lucha Bros beating Private Party. And uh, SCU defeating the Dark Order. So now, next week, we have the match where it seemed like this whole tournament was building to SCU and the Lucha Bros. If you remember, even before the tournament got started, SCU came out. They cut a promo about how it'll be Kazarian and Daniels who will be representing their team in the tournament. Because, again, you can only have two of your three members actually go through the tournament. Uh, otherwise three person teams would have an advantage over two person teams. And so, on. so as they're doing this, the Lucha bros came out and interrupted their promo and were involved in a pull apart and just not looking at the brackets. You'd think, Oh, these two teams are facing each other in the first round, but they weren't, they were in, on total opposite ends of, of the bracket, but they're going to meet in the finals. So after that pull apart, it was Pentagon and Phoenix who came out and ambushed Christopher Daniels sent him to the hospital and caused Scorpio Sky to have to step up for his team. So it really feels like this is the beginning of a rivalry between SCU and the Lucha Bros. Because now we're going to have this match between Kazarian and Scorpio Sky and the Lucha Bros next week. But what about what role does Christopher Daniels play here? He's just out with an injury watching all this. So when Christopher Daniels comes back, what does that mean for SCU versus the Lucha Bros? Do we get a rematch between SCU and the Lucha Bros with Daniels taking the place of Scorpio Sky once he's healthy? If the Lucha Bros beat SCU, if they beat the SCU team of Kazarian and Scorpio Sky, does Christopher Daniels and Kazarian get a title shot when Daniels comes back from injury? These are all questions we have no answers to yet. But the tag team titles will be, or the tag team champions will be crowned next week. And the Rock and Roll Express will actually be on hand to hand out the titles. 
which I guess is kind of similar to, you know, Bret Hart was the first person that came out with the title AEW title belt. So there's, you know, seems like they're going to connect a legend with uh, titles being awarded. I don't know. But it does feel like we got the startings of a rivalry between SCU and the Lucha Bros. So next week, the champions are crowned. Then there's one more episode, and then there's full gear. So something is going to have to happen between now and full gear for us to get a tag team title match on the pay-per-view, which I imagine we are getting. Like, I can't imagine we're not going to have a tag team title match on the pay-per-view when we're only getting, like, four pay-per-views a year. You would imagine that all the titles are going to be on the line in those pay-per-views, but that's just a guess. And it's not going to be either, it's not going to be the Young Bucks and it's not going to be Private Party challenging the new champions. Or, or, or sorry, it's not, the Young Bucks and Santana and Ortiz are going to be facing each other on the pay-per-view. So it's not going to be the, either of those two teams challenging for the titles. Could be Private Party if they put together a few wins. So that's basically the AEW tag team division. And uh, these were, these were some fun matches. These were some really fun matches, actually. Uh, um, yeah, total non-stop action, or maybe just non-stop action. Uh, then Kenny Omega defeated Joey Janela, and that was a rematch, kind of, of a match they had on AEW Dark last week. And they had a lights-out match, like a non-sanctioned match after Dynamite was over. And so those technically don't count on the AEW win-loss records, which is good for Joey Janela because he's 0 for 2 in those matches. Uh, he had lost to John Moxley at Fight for the Fallen as well. So Kenny Omega picks up another win, and that's valuable for him as he heads into uh, full gear going up against John Moxley in a match which likely will play into who gets the next AEW World Championship match, but I think Pac is going to be considered in that running as well, especially considering he went to a time limit draw with Moxley in the main event this week. So then, after the tag team title matches, we had a segment where Cody came out. He was to be interviewed by Tony Schiavone. However, the members of Inner Circle, minus Jake Hager, who's preparing for his MMA fight in Bellator, which takes place tonight. They're all in a luxury box. They start drowning out Cody by playing air or not playing air horns, but uh, sounding off air horns. Uh, Cody then gets upset at them and says, there's no imaginary wall here. I can just come up and kick your ass. The inner circle's like, there's one of you. What are you going to do? But then MJF comes out, or what? Who? I can't remember the order. Dustin Rhodes comes out, MJF comes out, and then DDP comes out, and they all march their way up to the to the luxury box that the inner circle's in. But the inner circle lock themselves inside, and they're like, "Ha, ha! You can't get in." And MJF hands Cody his scarf. Cody wraps it around his fist and punches the glass. It breaks away. They get in. There's a big melee, and they're fighting all throughout the arena and into the dipping dots thing. And yeah, I mean, it was a great segment. It, it it's, um, AEW has only done a few of these talking segments. They do max one a show 
And I think they even had one show where there weren't any. It was just all matches. I think that was last week. But when they do these talking segments, they're really good. The first real... Okay, well, on the second episode, they did a talking segment, which was so good. And it was Chris Jericho came out with the title belt, and he was flanked by the members of Inner Circle. And it was sort of their first uh, promo as a stable. And that was classic, classic stuff. Like, that's the... I, I really do think you're, you're going to look back on some of this Inner Circle stuff, and it just works so much. It works so much with the dynamic of what exists in AEW. So think... So the dynamics in AEW is you've got this company where four to five of the wrestlers are also executives in the company. Cody is challenging for the world title. He's also an executive in the company. The Young Bucks are in the tag team division. They're also executives in the company. Kenny Omega, executive in the company. Brandy Rhodes, executive in the company. So it would seem as though on the surface, these wrestlers who are also in management have an advantage. You know, they're in the back pocket of the owner. They're basically the corporation. So Chris Jericho has to show, no, 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 you might, you might be management. You might be the company management, but I'm the world champion. This company revolves around me because I'm the guy with the belt. And so anybody that's around me, they're the inner circle of AEW. We're the ones that run AEW. You guys in the elite, you guys can do all the admin work with Tony Khan and you can do all the press, whatever. Chris Jericho's thinking, I got the belt. I run AEW. These guys are my inner circle. So the, the dynamic of it works. The battle lines drawn work. You know, so it's, it's good. It's just good. And they, the two sides had a huge brawl, and they're brawling around, and now we get Cody challenging Chris Jericho for the world title at full gear. And... It's going to be great. I think a lot of people are really excited by Full Gear. Uh, then the Young Bucks defeated the Best Friends. Orange Cassidy was heavily involved in this match, even unleashed a vicious attack on both Young Bucks before the bout could begin. Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, defeated Jamie Hayter, and they played up that Hayter is B. Priestley's tag team partner in Japan. Hayter also kind of dressed in the same style as Priestley, so it's not too difficult, even if you're not familiar with stardom, to gather that Hayter and Priestley are aligned. And this was Baker uh, wrestling in front of her hometown Pittsburgh fans. And Baker coming off that loss to Riho for the Women's World Championship. And sort of how that match had been played up. It was that Riho, the ever-experienced Riho, had scouted Britt Baker. Knew that that finger-in-the-mouth move was coming. Planned a counter to it. Used the counter. Got the roll-up pinfall and got the win. So now Baker has to pick up some more wins to get back in title contention. But... She has a budding rivalry brewing with B. Priestley, and I wonder if we're going to get a match between those two booked for the pay-per-view. 
Then there was this weird thing where Brandy Rhodes got really upset at everybody. And you could have missed this. I almost missed this, but Jamie Hayter was being interviewed backstage. Then Brandy Rhodes comes out, just throws Jamie Hayter off somewhere. Then turns to, uh, this is Jennifer Decker, I want to say, is her name. And just like furiously is pointing a finger at, at Decker. And then just sort of like collects herself and then storms off. And we don't know what that was about whatsoever. All we know is that Brandy Rhodes is irrationally mad about something and we don't know what about. Hmm. Interesting. But she's not mad at Jamie Hayter. Or is she mad at Jamie Hayter? Like maybe Brandy Rhodes wanted Hayter to beat up Britt Baker because Rhodes has a secret dislike of Baker. Because we kind of see that with Rhodes where she'll kind of buddy up with somebody but then hate them. Like she sort of did that thing with Allie, right? So maybe it's, I don't know. But Brandy Rhodes is upset about something. Then we had Pac versus John Moxley, and this match went to a time limit draw. And this is sort of the third match in AEW where a time limit has really kind of factored in. The first was Cody versus Darby Allen. And that I thought was great because that was a 20 minute time limit on fight. For the Fallen, I want to say. And the whole match, once you realize that a time limit draw could occur, the whole match was basically uh, Cody just trying to pin this guy in time. And of course, he wasn't able to do it. And I thought that was a really exciting time limit draw because it was basically a win for Darby Allen, right? Because you never expected Darby Allen to win the match. You never really expected him to draw. So him going to a time limit draw with Cody... I mean, that's like a little victory for Darby Allen. Then th- and then there was a match between Kip Sabian and Hangman Page, which went 19 minutes. And so there was this tease of the, this match could go to a time limit draw as well. But it didn't. And then so this match, we're starting to get the countdowns And those two matches ran through my head. I was like, whoa, this is the third time this has happened now. And one time it went to a time limit draw and the other time it didn't. So let's see what happened. And this time it went to a time limit draw. And this will likely play into the kind of the world title scene in AEW. Because Omega and Moxley are going to wrestle. Pac has beaten Omega and he's gone to a time limit draw with Moxley. So if Omega beats Moxley and then you've also got, they, they just announced for the pay-per-view hangman page versus pack. That's a rematch. So those two matches and those four guys, depending on how they do in the next few weeks, you got to imagine one of those four wrestlers is the next one to get a title shot at Jericho, right? Pac, Moxley, Omega. I mean, probably not Paige again, but he's going to be in the mix there. 
I don't, uh, man, we'll just have to see. But Moxley, I mean, if Moxley beats Omega, then I think you got to give the next title shot to Moxley. Because he's only lost a tag match, and that was only after he bailed on his team. And he's undefeated in singles, although granted he went to a time limit drop. Well, the pack is undefeated in singles, too. Well, both pack and Moxley, they're undefeated in singles, and they have one tag loss because they lost the match where they teamed together. But that was AEW Dynamite this week, and I think it was a really fantastic show. And that seems to be the general opinion of others. Except for Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash put out a tweet saying he didn't like the segment where Cody and his team went up and, uh, you know, brawled with the members of the inner circle. And he put out this tweet saying like, well, why did Jericho have a microphone in the box? It's like, that's fake. It screamed to me work is what he said in his tweet. I was like, well, Chris Jericho's the AEW world champion. I'm sure if he asked for a microphone, they would give him one. So anyway, the show ended with uh, Moxley saying, time limit my ass several times. And goddamn, AEW puts out some really fun shows. And this was definitely wrestling for wrestling fans as opposed to wrestling for a mainstream audience like Raw and SmackDown is. Another show, which was also wrestling for wrestling fans, and not wrestling for a mainstream audience like Raw and SmackDown, was NXT. NXT was a fantastic show this week, and it finished off with a massive angle. So I'll just quickly go over some of the results here from NXT on October 23rd. So Rhea Ripley defeated Bianca Belair in the opener. And Io Shirai and Candice LeRae also got involved in this match as well, and they're sort of the four top women vying for the next title shot against Shayna Baszler. So with Ripley beating Bianca Belair here, that likely, I I mean, this is basically, this was a title eliminator, basically. So I would have to say that for the time being, Belair's out of the running for the next title shot. And the winner of Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae, which will take place next week, uh, it would be them and Rhea Ripley still in the running for the next shot at Baszler. So a lot of interesting stuff going. Rhea Ripley, man. She is, um, I mean, she's somebody who I could see defeating Baszler for that title and holding the title for a long time. She, of course, won the NXT UK Women's Championship, though she would eventually drop the title to Tony Storm uh, in a really good series of matches that those two had. So Rhea Ripley... What's, you know, she going to get the next shot at Baszler? Will it be Shirai, Candice LeRae? We'll find out in the next few weeks on NXT. Matt Riddle Riddle then defeated Cameron Grimes, so he picks up a win after dropping a title match to Adam Cole on the uh, first episode of NXT on USA, the first two-hour live version so matt riddle with a win over cameron grimes then after the match an angle was set up between cameron grimes and tyler Bate, and those two will meet in singles action next week 
The third match on NXT had Breezango and Isaiah Swerve Scott defeating the Forgotten Sons. And it does look like Swerve Scott, who got the pin for his team in this match, he is someone who could see uh, some bigger matches come his way in the next few weeks upcoming on NXT. Then from there, we went to the what is now the NXT Cruiserweight division. And so we're seeing more of this. Leo Rush is now the NXT Cruiserweight Champion. And this week we had Cruiserweights Angel Garza, Garza sorry, ah, uh, Angel Garza and Jack Gallagher. And Garza picked up the win and he made a motion towards Leo Rush like maybe he wants a title shot. So perhaps we could get Leo Rush and Angel Garza going one-on-one for the Cruiserweight Championship in the not-too-distant future. Then we had a match which would determine who faces the Kabuki Warriors next week for the WWE Women's Tag Team titles. If you remember when the Women's Tag Team titles were introduced, it was pointed out or set or promised, is maybe a good word to say, that they would be defended on Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. So we, we are going to get the Kabuki Warriors coming to NXT with those titles. And Asuka, ever since... They're uh, breaking out the poison mist recently. She seems to be slowly morphing into her own version of the great Muda. She had some face paint on and uh, they were both acting very cocky and confident ahead of next week's match with Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox. So Dakota Kai, Tegan Knox, they defeated Jessamyn Duke and Marina Shafir, the four horsewomen of MMA. And so that earns Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox the title match against the Kabuki Warriors next week. We then went to our main event for the NXT North American Championship. This was an epic match. Uh, <laughs> so much stuff happened here. I don't even know how you would comment on any of it. But we get to the end of the match. Keith Lee delivers a power bomb to Dominic Dijakovic. But out of nowhere comes Roderick Strong with the Shining Wizard, steals the pin, and retains his NXT North American Championship. So it seemed like that was the end of the show. And at this point, I was four hours deep into a night of wrestling. So I thought the show was over. You know, and you're just kind of waiting for it to go. All right. Oh, here come the Undisputed Era, and they're beating everybody up here, they're beating up Keith Lee, they're beating up Dominic Dijakovic. And then uh, Thomas, <laughs> Tommaso Ciampa's music hits. He comes out and he just gets in the ring with his crutch. And for reasons only they could probably describe the Undisputed Era, did not attack him four on one. But then Johnny Gargano came out and he got in the ring and there was a large DIY chant. And then Finn Balor's music hits. And Finn Balor comes out. And I remember they had advertised that we were going to get an update on Finn Balor's future on this episode. But he hadn't been on the entire episode. So Balor comes out and he's just standing there with Ciampa and Gargano. And then out of nowhere, he hits an overhead kick on Gargano, takes him down. And then goes and beats up Gargano on the outside, gives him a drop kick through the guardrail, then gives him a brain buster on the ramp. Uh, in NXT's injury update, they said that Gargano's not medically cleared. So 
Balor has turned on DIY. But did he join the Undisputed Era? It didn't look like he did. Because the Undisputed Era is all in the ring and they're throwing up their Undisputed Era signs. But then Balor's on the ramp and he points at Gargano and he gives the finger guns. Somewhat reminiscent of when he was Prince Devitt in Bullet Club. So we're left kind of not knowing if there's a relationship between Finn Balor and Undisputed Era. Is he going to join them? Or is he sort of... Is he separate from the group, but they agreed to attack these guys together. There's a lot of unanswered questions about what Finn Balor did on NXT this week, which I imagine is exactly how WWE wanted it to come off. Because I, I mean, my first thought when Balor kicked Gargano in the head is like, is Balor in the undisputed era? How does that work with Adam Cole being the NXT champion? Because shouldn't Finn Balor want to win that title as well? How would he play second fiddle to Adam Cole? We have no answers to any of these questions, but it doesn't look like he's joining Undisputed Era anyway. So we still need to kind of learn what exactly it is that we saw at the end of the show on Wednesday night. But that was NXT, and I really think that this was NXT's strongest show since debuting on the USA Network. And I think this angle with Balor turning on Johnny Gargano and fans not really knowing why he did it. I mean, that's gonna, I mean, that's got people motivated to tune in next week to, to hear from Balor, to find out more about why Balor did what he did, to hear from the Undisputed Era, to, to find out what their relationship is with Balor, and, you know, injury updates on Gargano. What's next for Tomasa Ciampa? What, what are the next big angles that come from this in NXT? Well... We'll find out. Uh, we'll definitely know more come next Wednesday, but that will do it for this show, everyone. Thank you so much for your support of Spoiler Free Wrestling. You can check us out at SpoilerFreeWrestling.com on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all that stuff. Uh, also, don't forget that uh, there will be a new episode of The Greatish War with me and Jeff Moss reviewing the Monday Night Wars from 1996. That'll be up on Monday. Thanks again, everyone. I'm the Eye Guy from Spoiler Free Wrestling.